We're going through all four of the Gospels in chronological order. So everything that Jesus did and taught and said, we're going to read it for ourselves because we want to know the real Jesus firsthand. We don't want to hear other stories about him. We want to see him for ourselves in his word. And this week we're going to start with a miraculous healing that's going to teach us several important lessons about how healing works. By way of introduction, I need to tell you that today's scriptures give us the opportunity to discuss something I always want to point out when I get the chance, whenever the text takes us there. And it's this, the Lord heals three ways, three ways. This is the first fill-in on your outline. Firstly, the Lord heals instantaneously. He heals instantaneously. And this is the one we all want. This is the healing where, boom, it's like lightning striking and you are healed and you're healed forever and it doesn't come back, well, you know, till you die. Instantaneously. Secondly, the Lord heals progressively. So this means that he heals you, but not fully. And the full healing may unfold over days, weeks, months, or even years. But at some point you realize, hey, I am now completely healed. That would be a progressive healing. And then the third one, your next fill-in, is daily. Daily. Some healings are directly connected to our relationship and our walk with the Lord. When we wake up every day and walk with him and walk in faith, believing that we're healed, we stay healed. But when we turn from the Lord and walk away from him, suddenly the issue comes back. This would be a daily healing. I've seen this firsthand. I've seen this with somebody who was in a lifetime of addiction, 17, 18 years, done incredible damage to their mind, turned to the Lord, and their mind was restored, relapsed, went back, walked away from the Lord, and all the damage came back, way more than simply the substance abuse. When you walk with the Lord, there are some healings that are directly connected to your walk with the Lord. You leave the Lord, the healing leaves. As you read through the Bible, you'll find examples of all three types of healings, and I point that out because we need to understand that when the Lord does heal, it can look different for different people, and there's been a lot of people hurt in churches who didn't understand that sometimes the way the Lord heals looks different for different people, and Jesus is going to show us that in today's passage, but he's God. I mean, if he has the ability to heal completely, why wouldn't he? This goes back to the literal meaning of life. We've talked about this many times. What do you really believe is God's greatest purpose and goal for your life? I pray that as you've watched the persecution of believers in the Middle East, none of you still believe that his purpose is for all your dreams to come true and your agenda to be fulfilled. As though the Holy Spirit was sent to us so that all our dreams could come true in this life. The problem with that is the fact that the church has been persecuted for almost 2,000 years. And millions and millions of believers were murdered for their faith. Did they just not get the memo? So what is the purpose of life from God's perspective? What is his greatest goal for you? It's very simple. For you to become more like his son Jesus. That is the goal above all goals. And I want you to know this. There's a false choice. There's two extremes and we don't want to fall into either. On the one hand, well, he wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. Do you believe that? And I say, well, I guess so, because what's the alternative that I believe he wants you to be poor, sick, and miserable? I'm not buying that. 
I believe the Lord wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy, but there's a goal above that for you to become like his son, Jesus, for me to become like his son, Jesus. That's more important because you being healthy, wealthy, and happy only benefits you in this life. Becoming like Jesus will pay eternal dividends as we rule and reign with Christ in the millennium and beyond in eternity. The only way that some of us can, well, all of us can become more like Jesus is if we walk closely with him in this life. Some of us can handle an instantaneous healing. And here's what I mean by that. Some of us are healed and we are thankful for the Lord and we continue to walk with him faithfully. Others of us would be stoked initially at church that Sunday testifying, but as the weeks and months pass, suddenly now that our problem has been solved, we begin to drift away from the Lord because our need's been met. We can't handle an instantaneous healing sometimes. If that's the case, the Lord may heal progressively. Why? Because the goal is intimacy with him so you and I can become more like Jesus. Some of us may only cling to the Lord if our healing is daily. And for some of us, I want to suggest that the Lord may allow an infirmity to enter your life, that you might be healed and restored daily for one purpose, that you would cling to him. He did it in the life of the Apostle Paul, and he will do it to you and I if that's what it takes to get us to the place of intimacy with him, because that's what's best for us. The mature Christian will pray, Lord, please heal me, but not at the expense of intimacy with you. That's a big prayer. That's a big prayer. But if you've been there, if you've been through a crisis, most of us have this story. I hear this from believers again and again and again. They say, you know, I'm so glad when, when that season was over, but I almost miss it because of the closeness I had with the Lord Jesus during that time. The prayer of the mature believer is, Lord, heal me, but, but not at the expense of intimacy with you. Man, I'd rather walk intimately with the Lord, needing to be healed daily, than be healed completely and wonder. I'd rather be intimate with Jesus. So write this down. Intimacy with Jesus is more important than physical healing. Intimacy with Jesus is more important than physical healing. Let's take a look in Mark chapter 8. That's where we're going to begin. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. We'll read this together, and then we'll break it down verse by verse. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Firstly, whenever we read something like this in the Bible, we need to make sure that we don't go, oh, neat. We need to take a step back and put our emotions into this account. It's not a fairy tale. It's a historical document. This is a man who was blind, living in a world of darkness, and then after a few short moments with Jesus, had 20-20 vision and could see. Can you imagine your adult son leaving your home, a blind man, coming back, seeing 20-20? 
do you explain that? It would have been unbelievable. The human gravity of a healing like that is incalculable. It's always amazing. So let's break this down. Verse 22. Then he came to Bethsaida. Underline Bethsaida. That's important because Jesus had some very condemning words for this town that show up in Matthew and Luke's Gospels. This is what Jesus said back in Matthew 11. He said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, I put on your outline, what's that town? Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So apparently Jesus had performed mighty works in Bethsaida before, but people weren't impressed. And it didn't translate into them believing that he was the son of God, that he was Mashiach, he was the Messiah. They didn't make the connection. They just wanted the traveling circus sideshow of Jesus' healings, the signs and wonders. And Jesus says, you know, there's other places where if I had gone and done there what I did here, they would have believed, but not you, but not you. From Jesus' perspective, write this down. From Jesus' perspective, Bethsaida had a toxic lack of faith. It had a toxic lack of faith. A lack of faith can affect people's ability to receive a miracle, but startlingly, it also affected Jesus' ability to perform a miracle. You may recall back in Mark 6, Jesus visits his hometown of Nazareth where he also encounters a toxic lack of faith. And the word says, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. So Bethsaida and Nazareth, from Jesus' perspective, from his word, have similar spiritual atmospheres. Both have a toxic lack of faith that inhibits people receiving miracles and Jesus performing miracles. Then our text goes on and it says, they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Underline, begged him to touch him. In this atmosphere of doubt, this lack of faith, there's apparently still a few people who believe in Jesus' power. Now many of us, most of us, are terrified of telling people about Jesus. We're fearful of evangelizing. And I want to suggest that a good starting point is the condition of our hearts. Do our hearts ache and break for those in our lives who don't know the Lord? If that's not a first step that is present, we're kidding ourselves if we think we're going to go share the gospel. Our hearts have to ache for those who don't know to the Lord to the point where we're compelled to act. It starts at the heart level. I'm praying that the Lord does more in my heart in that area personally. It says they begged Jesus to touch this man. None of us, myself included, has an excuse to not be begging the Lord to touch those in our lives who don't know him. Begging. The word would call that interceding. Begging God to open their eyes. Begging God to let them see. I haven't done nearly enough of that. And I want to challenge you today. We're in 21 days of prayers. You're praying for people. I pray all of us in these 21 days are praying for people, not just things and jobs and situations, but specific people. Man, we need the Lord to break our hearts. We need to be begging him to crack open some of these hard-hearted people that the Lord has placed in our lives. He put them there so that we could beg him to open their hearts. You'll probably never stand on a street corner and preach the gospel. 
But you know what you can do? You can pray with perseverance for the lost. You can do that. I can do that. Let's just see what the Lord does with that. Let's see where that goes. Verse 23, it says, So he took the blind man by the hand and, and then underline, led him out of the town. Led him out of the town. Now, isn't that interesting? Most Bible scholars point out Jesus does this because he's trying to avoid the, the traveling circus atmosphere. Jesus never, ever during his ministry plays into the hands of those who are like, do another miracle. Do a trick, Lord. Jesus always, he just shuns that. He shies away from that. He's not trying to build a ministry on signs and wonders. He, he came as a messenger of the gospel. Signs and wonders happened because he was there. But he didn't come to do that. He came to die on a cross and to teach the gospel. But miracles just happen where Jesus is. And that could be true, but I think something else is going on because I see in Jesus the same method the Holy Spirit uses in my life, in your life, and in the life of seemingly every believer I've ever known. Have you ever noticed that when the Lord wants to do something profound in your life, a deep work, he tends to try and get you alone? Tends to try and get you alone? He has to strip away distractions and voices from our lives and get us to a place where there's some space physically, relationally, and even in terms of time. You just, I, I need to craft some space so that the only voice we can hear is him. And we've said before, because it's true, that the Lord loves you enough to let the bottom fall out of your life if that's what it takes to get you to him. He loves you enough to let that happen. That's why I tell you, you know someone who's not a believer whose life is falling apart? Don't pray that their life stops falling apart. Pray that they turn to Jesus. Then we'll pray for their life to stop falling apart. But if they're not turning to Jesus and their life is falling apart, man, Jesus needs to turn up the heat. Let's hope it falls apart more. How much? Well, until they turn to him. Man, better they get cancer, find Jesus, and die from cancer than be healed, made well, and spend eternity separated from the Lord. Pray people know Jesus. That's more important than anything. And I'm sure many of us found the Lord in a lonely, dark place where it seemed like everything was lost. What was Jesus doing? He was saying, I was doing whatever I had to do to get you alone so that you would listen. So this town has a toxic lack of faith. And the problem with that is that it can be contagious. You ever notice that? Doubt, fear, people who speak that way all the time. It's contagious. It is very contagious. It's like they're sneezing a bad attitude on you. It's very hard for faith to grow and stay strong when you're consistently having people whispering doubt and fear into your life. So what does Jesus do? Well, he separates this man from that. He says, we, we gotta get away from this atmosphere. My pastor used to say, Jesus loves you and everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> it's absolutely true. You know, even those good men who brought the blind man to Jesus may have been a risk. We, we know from the story that the healing isn't going to take right away the first time. He's not gonna be instantaneously healed the first time. Perhaps one of them, when that happened, might have said something like, oh, I knew it was too good to be true. It's like a knife cutting deep, planting doubt, robbing that person of faith. Have you found in your life that even a small word of doubt, that suggestion is a powerful, powerful force? So Jesus separates this man from those other voices. And I really believe that there are miracles that the Lord wants to do in the life of believers, possibly in some of your lives, but he can't because we refuse to separate ourselves from those voices of doubt. 
We refuse to cut out the voices that are saying, God can't do that. You shouldn't get your hopes too high. Come on, don't set yourself up for disappointment. Lord says, I'm waiting for you to cut those voices out of the conversation. They're not part of our conversation. It's the Holy Spirit, it's the Word of God, and it's you. The Lord isn't looking for any other input. What does Amos 3.3 say? Can two walk together unless they are agreed? There's some people where you say, man, let me tell you where I'm going. I'm going towards wholeness, healing, and restoration through Jesus. If that's not where you're going, we can't walk together. We can't walk together. It's just that simple. So Jesus removes this man from the town. It says, and when he had spit on his eyes, you can do that when someone's blind because they don't see it coming. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. You really read that right. He most likely spat in his own hands and then rubbed them on this man's eyes. And I know that sounds really, really weird. You're like, I can't give him a pass for that just because he's Jesus. Jesus actually used spit in two other healings. And Bible scholars tell us that saliva was thought to contain medicinal properties at this time. Now, I have no idea why they would think that, but, but apparently they did. And some scholars suggest that by doing this, what Jesus is doing is he's giving his stamp of approval to the use of conventional medicine in the process of healing. That may or may not be true, but what we do know is that the Lord has gifted men and woman with insight into how the human body works and the ability to heal through medicine certain physical issues we encounter in life. The Apostle Paul had a traveling companion who, who was what? He was a physician. Dr. Luke was a special blessing to Paul because Paul was constantly getting beat up, thrown in prison, whipped, tortured, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes. It's a full-time job for Luke just to take care of Paul, basically. And it's not a coincidence that the Lord gave Paul Luke, a physician. He didn't give Paul a faith healer. He gave him a physician. Why? Because the Lord heals in different ways. I've experienced a medically legitimate, miraculous supernatural healing in my life. Miraculous. I've experienced a supernatural miracle. I've seen my body heal itself in some amazing ways. And I've also seen medicine genuinely fix things that have happened inside my body. But you know what? It's not prayer or my body or medicine that heals. It's the Lord that heals. And he can use any one of those three methods or a combination of all three to heal. It's up to him how he wants to do it. So again, a lot of people got hurt by churches who decided, nope, only one way. Remember the Apostle Paul. He traveled with a physician. He traveled with a physician. So let's be open to how the Lord wants to heal us. And I just want to point out that when Jesus asked the man a question, he didn't say after the first time, behold, you can see, speak no doubt. He didn't say, now go play soccer by faith. He asked him if he saw anything says, do you see anything? You see, Jesus wasn't scared of asking the man, are you healed? For real. Not come up on the stage, let me knock you down before you can answer that question. And here's what's amazing. The man answers Jesus honestly. It says he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. So are you catching this? Jesus is laying hands on this guy and healing him, and the guy is not completely healed the first time. It's partial. 
We need to get this, write this down, because the lesson is being healed by God doesn't happen the same way for everybody. Being healed by God doesn't happen the same way for everybody. This man can see, but everything is blurry. People look like trees. So switching gears for a second, like this man, we often come to the Lord, he does a miracle in our lives, and we can see him clearly. But we're not yet able to see other people clearly. And what's hard for many of us is that the Lord doesn't just want to change the way we see him. He wants to change the way we see each other and the way we see other people. When you come to the Lord, did you notice it didn't make that divorce or separation or them walking out on you suddenly not hurt? It didn't just go away the day you were saved. When you came to the Lord, it didn't make the abuse you experienced suddenly not affect you. When you came to the Lord, it didn't make you immediately love the friend who betrayed you or the boss who fired you, took advantage of you. But that's the other half of the process. If we're going to find our joy in Jesus valuing us with his life, then we have to receive the fact that he valued everyone else with his life too. Yes, even them. You are only experiencing half the joy and the freedom that Jesus has for you if you are refusing to see other people the way that Jesus sees them. If you're holding on to bitterness, you're only half healed. You're seeing people like trees and you're saying, that's all I need, I'm good, thanks. Jesus is saying, why don't you stick around? There's more healing I want to do in you. As a point of interest, the fact that this man uses the word trees to describe men tells us he wasn't born blind. He knows what men are supposed to look like. And he says they look like trees. How does he know what a tree looks like? Well, because he wasn't born blind. He became blind later in life. Verse 25, it says, then he put his hands on his eyes again. So this is what faith looks like. If you prayed and nothing happened, I know this sounds crazy. Pray again. Pray again. If you prayed for healing, got better, and then the issue came back, pray again. If you've only been partially healed, pray again. You know, we don't get one prayer coupon per day. You pray as much as you want. It's unbelievable. Don't stop praying because one way or another, the day is coming when you'll be completely healed. Don't stop praying. Many of you know the famous quote from the Gospels. It's Jesus speaking. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What some of you will know and some of you won't is that the tenses of those Greek verbs mean that it should actually read, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and it will be open to you. For everyone who keeps asking receives, and he who keeps seeking finds, and to him who keeps knocking, it will be opened. Persevere in your prayers. Persevere in your prayers. We should never hear from each other, you know, I prayed about it. I tried that and nothing happened. Pray again. Don't stop. There's not room for stopping. There's no verse that says, seek the Lord seven times and then quit. The answer is no, so just stop. There's no verse like that. Just says keep praying, keep asking, keep knocking. Don't give up. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned was from the man I consider my pastor. And he took me through God's word and taught me that the life of the believer is meant to be an ever-increasing series of faith steps. In other words, 
If you're a believer, you should be growing in Christ. You should not be trusting him for the same things today you were trusting him for 10 years ago. You shouldn't be straining over, is my next paycheck coming, if that's what was straining your faith 10 years ago. That should be a non-issue today. You should be trusting him for bigger and bigger and bigger things. The great example of this is Joshua and the children of Israel. They go into the promised land. God gives it to them. Assignment number one, city of Jericho on the other side of the Jordan. One city. Many of you know the story. If you follow Joshua's progress through the promised land, every step they take gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know how it ends? With them facing armies that the Bible describes as being as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And they walk into that battle and they win. They win because they kept taking an ever-increasing series of steps. And you know what they were doing every step of the way? Remembering the steps that came before. When they go into Ai, the Lord says, hey, you're going to do to Ai exactly what you did to Jericho. Remember Jericho? Oh, yeah. No problem. No problem. This blind man was brought by his friends to Jesus and they, they begged Jesus to touch him. So they're, they're doing the asking. From, from everything the story tells us, this blind man is just acquiescing to the request of his friends that he go to Jesus. He's like, all right, we'll go to Jesus. I'm, you know, nothing's probably going to happen. So Jesus goes to work with this man's probably almost non-existent faith. Jesus puts his hands on him. A guy doesn't even know what's happening. What happens? There's a partial healing. What did Jesus do? Well, he worked with the faith that man had. He worked with the faith that man had and raised that man's expectations of what Jesus could do. When he begins seeing people as trees, you know it suddenly dawns on him, holy smokes, like this might actually happen. I'm seeing things I haven't seen in years. This, this might really happen. His faith has been exponentially enlarged. So now Jesus has more faith to work with. Sometimes progressive faith works that way. Let me just be honest. I think it's really stupid when churches and pastors and preachers teach, you just pray for anything. Pray for $10 million and you're making $50,000 a year. Let me be blunt. You don't have the faith to pray for $10 million. You lie to yourself. You, you don't have that faith because there are steps between where you are and where that is. Pray for what you really believe the Lord can do. Pray for that. And you know what God will do? He'll work with that. And then when you get there, your faith will be raised for the next time. That's why the Lord didn't say we're going to cross the River Jordan. First battle, an army as numerous as the sand on the seashore. <laughs> you, know, you know why? They're not going into that battle. They're like, you know what? This side of the Jordan is pretty nice. Pretty nice. It's a big river. We got some waterfront real estate. Here's good. Here's good. Thanks, but no thanks. Takes them through steps. Takes them through steps. When we pray for something we don't really believe the Lord can do, man, it's just words in the air. Let me be honest. Words in the air. That's why taking consistent faith steps matters so much. And so when you're partially healed, when the Lord does a partial miracle, you will either listen to the voice that says, man, what a letdown. Apparently healing isn't in my future. Or you'll say, wow, look at, look at what the Lord has already done. If he can do that... Hey, he can finish what he started. And you know what it comes down to? It comes down to, hey, if the Lord can find me in the pit of death and darkness and make my story end in a new heaven and a new earth with him in eternity finishing what he started, then I know he can finish what he started. That's who our God is. Joshua could have said, it's only Jericho. 
Big deal. We won. It's only one city. It's only 1% of the promised land. How's that going to help us when we face the largest army on earth? Mm. It's not what Joshua did. He chose to rejoice that the Lord was with him in the battle that came that day. And he marked the occasion so he wouldn't forget it. And he kept moving forward on to the next one. This is why you got to make a note of the things the Lord does in your life. Because we're all terrible at remembering them. But when you look back and you remember and then you look at what you're facing now, you're like, this is nothing. I've been through way more than this with the Lord. He's delivered me from so much more than this. And then we read that Jesus made him look up. He made him look up. When this man couldn't see other people clearly, Jesus didn't say, you know, just look harder at them. Look harder at them. See, see the royalty in them. See their potential. It's not what Jesus did. He made him look up. And there's the principle for all of us. Write this down. In order to see others clearly, we must look at the Lord, not at them. In order to see others clearly, we must look at the Lord, not at them. There are some people you can stare at all day. You're not going to see anything you like. You can look as long as you want. You're like, nope, still annoy the heck out of me. Yep, still, still, nothing's changed. But man, if you look at the Lord, if you'll talk to the Lord about them, if you'll pray for them, man, you'll suddenly get the Lord's heart for them. And that's the only way that works. The Lord changes our perspective. What was the result of this man turning his eyes toward the Lord? It says he was restored and he saw everyone clearly, clearly. Now catch Jesus' instructions to this man, verse 26. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. And that's noteworthy because in several other miracles, Jesus says, go tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. But this man lives where? Well, he lives in Bethsaida, a town with a toxic lack of faith. And I want to suggest something to you. This is my suggestion. You think it through and you decide for yourself whether or not you agree. I want to suggest to you, Jesus says, don't tell anyone because this man was at risk of losing his healing. He was at risk of losing his healing. If he allowed all those voices of doubt back into his life. I'm healed, I'm no longer blind. And the first response is, <laughs> oh, you're out of your mind. Or don't be stupid, come on. If he allowed those back into his life, he would be at a risk of losing his healing because his faith would be devastated. Jesus is saying, here's how you're gonna walk in your healing. You're not even gonna give him a chance to offer their opinion. That's what you need to do. The Lord knows where you and I live. He knows the city you live in. He knows the family around you, the coworkers, the friends, the contemporaries. And I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about miracles. And when the Lord works a miracle in our life, he knows how all the people around us are going to respond. For some of us, sharing what the Lord has just done for us will result in other people's faith being strengthened and being drawn to the Lord. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing for others of us. All we're going to get back from them is skepticism and doubt. They're not going to be drawn to the Lord. Your faith is just going to be diminished and challenged and weakened. Many of you know, hey, you know, I can share what the Lord is doing in my life with this family member, but not with this family member. They're not going to share my joy. They're just going to be critical. They're going to be skeptical. 
And you just know, man, if I want someone to share in my joy, that, that's not the person I can go to. I'm not pointing to you specifically, just, just this, this direction. I'm sure you're a wonderful believer. And <laughs> as you grow in your faith and walk with the Lord, you begin to reach the point where those voices of doubt affect you less and less. You don't really care what they think. You know what the Lord's done for you. But, but when you're new to the faith, when you're young in the faith, when you're not spiritually mature, let me be blunt, when you're in a season where you haven't been walking with the Lord the way you should, you're just in a weak season. You can be very vulnerable to those voices of doubt. And so we need to be sensitive. When the Lord does something in our life, we've got to ask ourselves the question, does the Lord want me to share this with this person? Or does he want me to keep this to myself? There's some things the Lord does for us that, that he doesn't want us to share with anyone. Or he might want us to share for the first time 20 years later. And we don't know. But I want to suggest to you we should ask the Lord, who do you want me to share this with? Specifically, who is this for? But man, you get yourself really hurt when you just run into a room and just say, let me tell you all what the Lord's done for me. You might not get the response that you're looking for. You might steal your joy. So ask the Lord what he wants to do. This is what I want to say in conclusion. Are there any relationships in your life that are toxic to your faith? Toxic. I want to be as clear as I can here. Some of you are in toxic faith relationships because you're thinking, I want to influence this person for the Lord. But that's not what's happening. They're influencing you. They're stealing your joy. They're weakening your faith, and, and they're not open right now. You walking in faith, trusting the Lord, walking with Jesus is more important. It's more important. I'm not saying cut every unbeliever out of your life. Not every unbeliever is going to rob your faith or steal your joy. That's not true at all. There might even be some, hear me on this, there might even be some believers, some alleged believers in your life who don't share your joy, who don't build your faith, who are always the first to say, I've seen this so many times before. People get all excited, Jesus is going to heal them, and then it's gone in a few weeks. You don't need that opinion in your life. They're not going where you're going. Man, I, I'm with you. I'd love to see them going where you're going. That would be great. Pray for them, but you might need to say, hey, you know, that family relationship might be a Thanksgiving and Christmas relationship. That might be a make an appearance relationship. That might not be a let me share what's going on in my walk with the Lord with them relationship. Who you surround yourself with is so, so important. Secular psychological relational studies say you will become the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. Andy Stanley says it right, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You gotta ask yourself where those who you share intimate spiritual truths with, you gotta ask yourself where are they going? Are they going to where I wanna go? Am I hoping that my faith will become like theirs? If the answer is no, I don't want my faith to be anything like theirs and they're not open to growing with you, you might need to trim that relationship back. The stakes are too high. You know what the, the stakes are? The stakes are what the Lord wants to accomplish through you in your life. There's only one thing that terrifies me that I might hear in heaven. And it would be, you know, I had so much more for you. I had so much more for you. You just didn't have the faith to walk it out. 
I want to live with a reckless faith for one reason. I don't want to hear that from the Lord. I want to hear you did everything I had for you to do. You did it all. You stepped up to the plate every time I called you to trust me, and you did it. And the only way that happens is by eliminating those relationships. Charlene has been through cancer before. Some of you know, some of you don't. We were blessed to be in a great church when that happened. But when it happened, we made the decision. There is no room in our life for skeptics. And I even said, there's no room in our lives for, you know, there's the people who just think it's their job to be the realist. They're like, you know, just in case anybody hasn't considered, she might die. You know, when it comes to faith, there's no need for a counter-argument. Do you realize that? There's no need for a counter-argument when it comes to faith. You need to shoot the counter-argument is what you need to do. Just get it right out of there. We said we're not going to speak a word of doubt. That was our covenant to each other. We're not going to speak a word of doubt. We're not going to pray a word of doubt. None of this baloney of don't pray for healing, pray for the will of God. Pray for healing. God's will is going to be done anyway. Can I just tell you that? You're praying for healing. You don't need to pray for the will of God. It's the will of God. He's not waiting for you to give him permission, okay? You pray for healing. That's what the Bible says. You pray for healing, then whatever happens is his will, and you rest in his will. But you pray for healing. Your job is faith and trust in the Lord God. Faith and trust that he can heal, and then if he doesn't, faith and trust that he's still good. I mean, we don't need any realists when it comes to faith. Because the reality is he's God and he can do anything. We don't need counter-arguments to faith. If you've got a counter-argument in your life that always pops up, I thought I'd just contribute to the discussion. You may need to make that a closed discussion. And be, be ruthless about it. Be kind to them. But Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together unless they are in agreement? Unless they are in agreement. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, thank you so much for your word. Jesus, thank you that through your ministry on the earth, you showed us healing looks different for different people. You showed us that you can work even with a lack of faith if we'll just say, yes, Lord. Father, I pray for all of us in whichever area of life you are calling us to step up in the area of faith right now. I pray that we would stop dipping our toe in the water, crossing our toe across the line to see, and we would just jump in with both feet and say, God, I'm in. I'm in. I'm up for this faith challenge, Lord, because I want the next one, and I want the next one. I want to get to the end of my life one day, or I want to arrive in your presence, and I want to say, look what the Lord has done simply because I kept saying, yes, Lord. It's all he's asking you to do, to say, yes, Lord. No Lord is an oxymoron anyway. If he's your Lord, then it's yes. It's yes. Father, I pray you'd fill us with faith. I pray you would fill us with trust in your character. Lord, for anyone here who has given up on a miracle they've been praying for, Lord, let faith arise in the name of Jesus. For people praying for relational miracles, Lord, we pray new faith, new grace. For people praying for children who have walked away from you, we pray for new faith and new grace in the name of Jesus. For people dealing with financial challenges, Lord, new faith, new grace in the name of Jesus, Lord. We know that you will give us more than we can handle but only because you want to give us more of yourself. So, Father, we pray we would be a people found saying, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.
Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.